Okay, let's go to Galatians 5. We're going to finish this little study in Galatians. Now, let me give you a little clue for next for the next several weeks. But you know what I love, um, especially on a gloomy day like this? I love looking ahead in, in the lesson plan book that I use and noticing that next week starts spring. It really doesn't, but it starts the spring quarter, and uh, we'll be kind of moving away from what we're doing now. And we're going to do a study. We'll be all, kind of all over the place for a while, but we're going to do a study on the love of God. Can you imagine a better study? And um, so uh, we'll be doing that until uh, summertime. And we'll start next week in 1 John 4. Just read 1 John 4. Um, by the way, uh, Jim Hampton handed me a, a really nice laminated copy of the Romans Road. And, and, and I use that a lot. I've taught it some um, but what I recognize, Jim, when I have led someone to Christ, what I typically will ask them to do is when that, within that first day, read the book of 1 John. It's just three or four pages. But it's so assuring and reassuring. So anyway, this is chapter four. is where we'll be next week. And we're going to close out kind of this little section that we've been doing in uh, Galatians 5. Uh, in the book of Galatians, sorry, today in Galatians 5. Now, we have said here, uh, I've really enjoyed this study, but we have said um, that Paul has been painting a painting for us, giving a picture of what life as a Christian is kind of really like. Um, and it's one of those things that, um, where's Phil? I know you're here. Okay, he's going to go up and count. Well, when I think of Phil's car, you know, that um, I'm an old car guy. and Several of you have got old cars. With it, you know, we use the term sometimes, that's a 20-foot car. Phil's car is a one-foot car. I mean, it gets better the closer you get to it. And that's kind of the way this book has been. Yeah. Do you know what a 20-foot car is, Walter? You don't know? From 20 feet away, it looks really good. But from 10 feet, uh-uh. Okay. All right, Phil drives, Phil drives a car that's a one-foot car. I mean, a really cool car. But uh, can you tell I think way too much about automobiles? I got this thing about sheet metal. But um, the closer we've gotten to this, the more I've studied it in, in our time together, the better it has gotten. And um, so here's the word that seems to have fit this whole study of the book of Galatians. Freedom. Freedom. Now, for those that were Gentiles and were former pagans, Paul preaches to them a freedom from falsehood, from a self-destructive lifestyle. But he also preaches the same message to his fellow Jews now believers in Jesus. But he preaches to them a freedom from legalism. A freedom from um, a system that had let them down. Because their lives really didn't model what it should model. So that freedom is what we're going to talk about. Now look at verse 18. And then in just a minute, I'm going to have Steve Blair read a few, few verses for us. But look at 518. Look what it says. 
I hope somebody's in here to fix that. Sorry. If you are led by the Spirit, uh-oh. Okay, I hope that didn't persist. If I need to back up. If you are led by the Spirit, verse 18 says, back up just a little. That weighs a ton. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what we've been dealing with here is that in Christ, we are marked as God's people in that we are led by the Spirit, capital S. The Spirit's power transforms us to reflect God's own character, certainly the character of the Son, Jesus. Now, it's important as we kind of launch into this for today, um, it may sound like, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time today, it may sound like that living under the Spirit and no longer under the law gives me license to do whatever I want to do. The, Paul's going to really take that on today. In this law-free life, God's Spirit leads people to become like God, uh, not to become more entangled in my own kind of self-centered life. And we're going to see him talk about that. And we're going to see him use some words here that are going to cause us to blush a little bit. But he does it on purpose so that we can look at what dramatic contrast life in the Spirit really is. Now, Steve, would you pick up with 519 and read, if you will, down to just those three verses, 19, 20, and 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dimensions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now, he's going to start talking about some kind of gross things, right? And the, he's going to use, um, it's interesting to me that he'll use here uh, uh, three or four um, groupings of things that are self-destructive. And then uh, starting by, in verse 22, he's going to use three triads of things that are wonderful. And we'll see the contrast. But so he's going to deal here with, he's going to begin by using these four groupings of kind of sinful activity or self-destructive activity to describe the symptoms of life in the flesh. So he's going to contrast life in the flesh to life in the spirit in this chapter. All right, life in the flesh and life in the spirit. So life in the and what I want to say to you is two things about life in the flesh. You see it talked about here in, in these two or three verses. Life in the flesh could also be called the self-centered life. All right? And what I want you to know is that life in the flesh is always self-destructive. Interesting. If you talk to someone who's involved in something that uh, they've gone back to an old lifestyle or they've just never... Um, uh, been uh, redeemed from an old lifestyle. What you recognize is that this self-focused life or self-centered life tends to cause me to 
live a self-destructive life. Um, when I talk to people who are heavily involved in um, in 12-step ministry or or, or in, in recovery ministry in some way, they will talk about how what we're trying to help people do is just not ruin their own lives. That's kind of what Paul's talking about when he talks about life in the flesh here. And the first grouping is kind of a grouping of sexual sins. He's going to begin here talking about immorality, um, which is activity of a sexual nature outside of a traditional marriage bond. He's going to use the word impurity, at least in my Bible. Um, second, which is the effect of sex outside of marriage. And then he's going to use a word that is translated uh, several different ways. I'm, I'm curious what it's translated in your Bible. In one Bible, it's translated debauchery. What does your Bible say there? The last of the word. Debauchery? I think that's the NIV word maybe. What, does somebody else have a different word? Lustful pleasures. That's interesting. Okay. That makes me blush a little. Lustful pleasures. Anybody else got a different word? Okay. So the idea of that one is when it gets just as bad as it gets. Uh, it's the idea of this, this activity would be, if, were it splashed on a big screen, would be shocking. Now, by the way, isn't it interesting to hear about this? In Paul's day, in the 50s or 60s AD. Because it really sounds like our day. Okay, I'm going to ask a question for which there is not an intended answer. Going to watch the Oscars tonight? Okay, it's up to you, you know. There's part of my family that will want to watch that, and I'm thinking, if every year, not this year. But okay, isn't it interesting that there is a lifestyle that's almost celebrated that would be included kind of in this. Now, I'm not thinking about any particular person here. I'm just thinking about a, a, a life philosophy. So Paul's going to take that apart. Now, in verse 20, he's going to give two more groups here um, that um, are self-destructive activity. So let me, let me give you a couple of words to put in your blanks here. There are two groups here that are found in the same verse and they cover kind of the spiritual realm of this self-destruction and then in the interpersonal realm. So he begins by talking about idolatry, which is another word that we've used, the word paganism. It's this idea of, of having... Um, having another God or before the real God or worshiping things made with hands. Um, Cindy, could I get you to pick up the mic and go to Isaiah 2.8? I'm going to ramble for a minute and then, then we'll get there. And if you don't mind, read that. Um, Isaiah 2.8. What the Bible says about idolatry is just an interesting little perspective, I think, on idolatry. You got it? Isaiah 2.8. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Okay. They're worshiping things they made with their hands. Isn't that interesting? Uh, you could argue that part of the worship there is of something that I'm making myself rather than you and I are worshiping the creator. 
they worship the one that is not. So there's kind of that idea. And then there's another group here, um, and it talks about witchcraft. Now, I think it's interesting that the Bible takes on witchcraft in, um, in lots of places. Uh, I read s- several references this week. Uh, if you remember the story of King Saul in 1 Samuel, he, he, uh, he consults a witch and it gets him in trouble. He's already in trouble before he does that. Um, there's other places in, in Deuteronomy, uh, in, um, in the Second Chronicles where it talks about witchcraft and the forbidden practice of witchcraft. Now, um, so it's the idea here of using, trying to manipulate spiritual forces for my own purposes. Okay. By the way, in case you think this is just something in, uh, in California or New York or somewhere, not here. My wife works with some practicing witchcraft people. And it's interesting the chilling effect that these people have on the interpersonal workings of the office. And their protected class in some ways, which is kind of interesting. Okay, now that's in a government installation. So it's not over in the Old Testament, and it certainly wasn't over in the New Testament, nor today. So you kind of get that idea. Now, uh, so those are kind of talking about the spiritual realm. And then it has several words here, a list, okay, of, in this third group um, of interpersonal workings. You kind of can see them there. Uh, let me read a couple of them from, from my particular translation here. Um, Gotta get the right. Okay. Um, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and by the way, envying goes with that list. See the one first word in um, either envy or envying that's in verse 21. By the way, you gotta remember sometimes that when these guys were writing this stuff, when Paul was writing the, the letter to the Galatians, he didn't stop and say, and now chapter six, okay? Or, and now verse 21. This was a letter. Uh, those numbers were added later to help us find them. Okay, so uh, envying goes actually with that list there of interpersonal struggles that are caused by life in the flesh. And then in verse 21, he describes some other kind of really self-destructive acts. You're going to think, well, he's, he's kind of gone back to what he was talking about in 19 and somewhat he is. Um, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you already that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you can put the, the phrase self-destructive. These are also some more self-destructive acts And Paul is really clear on what the outcome is, the result. Those who practice these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, that's really interesting to me. But it makes some sense that there's no place for those kinds of things in heaven. I kind of think about it kind of that way we will want to be protected from those things in heaven, will we not? Okay, so kind of that's the description there. Now, now I want us to go on uh, because we really 
desperately need to. Steve, pick the mic back up, if you will, and read 22 and 23 and 24. There's, there's a wonderful thing that happens right in the middle of this list of putrid stuff. Go ahead, Steve, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Isn't that beautiful by comparison? Okay, I've got to ask a question. What, when you need it, what really refreshes you? Okay, think about that for a minute. I'm going to ask you about that. Uh, for me, it's interesting. If I'm doing yard work, um, I can't get Gatorade quite cold enough. Anybody have that experience? Is it just me? I'll end up putting it in the freezer. I almost want, I almost want uh, um, ice in it, slush in it. For some reason, it just doesn't quite do it at even refrigerator temperature. I, I don't get that. I'm, uh, but iced tea always just kind of refreshes me. I'm, I'm not a big water guy. So anyway, uh, although if, if you're thirsty, there's nothing better, right? What refreshes you? Water? Water's your refreshment? Okay. okay. It is the best. What refreshes you? You know what's happening. Yeah, Jan, go ahead. Living water certainly does, and I'm going to make that point in just a second. What refreshes you? When you're really thirsty, what refreshes you? Ice cold what? Ice cold Coca-Cola. That's a girl from the South right there. Yeah, ice cold Coca-Cola. But again, it's, Joanna, it's got to be really cold for me. You know, it probably is not going to be as refreshing to me unless it's crackling over some ice. There's a drink that I keep. We've got a little pot machine in our back patio. And uh, there's a drink that I keep in there that I get. Kids bring me occasionally or somebody will bring me some of it from Kentucky. It's an, only a Kentucky drink. You can actually get it at Pops, but it costs you like two fifty a bottle. And the bottles are small. And it's called Ale 8. It's a, it's a soda pop and... Uh, comes out of Winchester, Kentucky, and we used to call it Winchester Swamp Water, but, but uh, it is, uh, it is, it's got more caffeine in it than, um, got more caffeine in it than Mountain Dew, that puts it in perspective for you, all right, and, um, but over ice when you're really hot, it's just the best stuff ever. Now, by the way, you can ask Rhonda about this, but we were in, in the bluegrass when Rhonda was, we moved there when Rhonda was six months, seven months pregnant with Heather, and she drank about it. Rhonda drank about a six-pack of this stuff a day, which explains Heather a lot. <laughs> what is refreshing to you? You know what's refreshing to me in this passage? The butt that comes in verse 22. All this putrid stuff, but. Can I, can I tell you something? Your life, the trajectory of your life, the way you lead it is a refreshment.
to a really parched world. Because you're not living verse 19 and 20 and 21. You're living verse 22 and 23 and 24. And it's refreshing to a world that's thirsty for, uh, who was it, Julie? Was it you or somebody said living water? Jan, that was you. Living water. When you're taking in that and dispensing that, it's refreshing to this world that's so goofed up and so thirsty to hear it and to see it in play. So, here we go with this list of nine things that offer what I would call, here's the word that goes in your blank there by verse 22, a refreshing contrast. Now, you could argue, I've heard a lot of people argue that the list of the fruit of the Spirit, which by the way, are probably not, uh, that, those nine fruit are probably not a, uh, an exhaustive list, although I would be hard-pressed to add something to it. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, gentleness, faithful, and self-control. But the truth is you could stop on the, the other way, even though that is not an exhaustive list, you really could stop with, for the fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You could really stop right there. Because the rest of it, in some ways, describes a loving lifestyle a loving characteristic or a loving character. So let's take just, so those first three are really foundational to our understanding. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he mentions joy, which is an outlook. I've read this description. Joy is an outlook of celebration. I need joy people in my life. I got enough of those that don't have an outlook of celebration. I need those in my life who do. And that ought to be, you and I ought to have that, this outlook of celebration. Peace, I asked you about it last week. What is your peace quotient? And what I would, what I would say to you, I started to pull out a couple of verses um, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You know, that one just kind of washes over my soul a lot. But what I would suggest that you do, if you find yourself in need of peace, or if you did that, my little son, last week, of checking out how peaceful you are at this point in your life, or maybe in this chapter, what's your peace quotient? Here's, here's kind of a, here's a prescription to help you with that. If you find you're lagging in that, take your Bible or go to... Um, you version or whatever you use on your phone, and just type in the word peace. Look in the back of your Bible, if you've got a little concordance there. I did this this morning and, and read about 20 different verses. Read what the Bible says about peace. For the fruit of the Spirit is peace. That really kind of helped me to get my mind around it just reading what the Bible says about peace. Isaiah 9, 6 talks about Jesus as the prince of peace. So you might want to just Google that. And if you're kind of lagging in peace, maybe that's a good way to kind of go on with it. Now, so we've got that first wonderful foundational triad, love, joy, and peace. And then the second and third triads, 
really talk about relationships. Okay, look back at 22. Relationships. Patience, kindness, goodness. And then actions, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, I want to read on through 24 because it'll help us uh, still there. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Um, I like the, the last little bit of 23 that says there is no law against any of these things. Isn't it interesting that he's talked for three verses about things that you would say are certainly spiritually unlawful. All those putrid things that he began to make a list of. And it's like he caught himself in the middle of this and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And he names these nine and then he says, there's no law against any of these. I think of my, our good Oklahoma City friend who's kind of become somewhat popular. You know who Sweet Brown is? Remember who Sweet Brown is? She would say it this way. Everybody got time for that. It wouldn't be, ain't nobody got time for that. It would be, everybody got time for that. Now you know who I'm talking about, don't you? By the way, I heard her, I was in Columbus, Ohio a couple years ago, and I heard her on the radio. Uh, She's become quite the thing, and I love it. Now, so, you got this discussion of relationships and actions, and then verse 24 kind of talks about here how spiritual fruit grow, and it basically says here that as I crucify the flesh, that spiritual fruit grow as life in the flesh recedes. Spiritual fruit grow as works of the flesh recede. Flip a page back, 220. This is one of Paul's kind of testimony statements. 220. I memorized this one a long time ago because it's just so powerful. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Kind of wonderful there that as the spiritual fruit grow, those putrid things, self-destructive things, recede. Cindy, can I get you to jump over and read um, actually 525, which is at the end of of this chapter, but I'm going to ask you to read on down through 6-6. Don't have to go all the way to 10. Just go to 6-6. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. As we get back to 
to 25, he's going to say here something like, we must live what we confess. We must live. We've got to live according to our confession. If I say I believe in Jesus, then that ought to have an effect on how I live my life. The title that, that I put to this lesson is Living Holy. Now, when you think about that, you may think, well, that doesn't describe me. You know what? I think it does. If I understand it right. Living as Jesus did is kind of the idea here. Uh, to put into practice the fruit of the Spirit. On a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, we've got to live what we confess. And then he goes on in verse 26 to talk about things like conceit. To walk in the Spirit is to seek His glory, not my own. Now, I want everybody, if you would, keep your finger there and go to the right a little bit. I'm going to kind of get us ready for next week. But 1 John 2.6, I want you to see it. 1 John 2.6 is a really important verse. It's really simply stated, and it's very easy to memorize. It could help you remember, okay? What does it mean to live holy? Okay, 1 John 2.6. Somebody want to read it out loud? Whoever claims to live as him, is that what it said? Whoever claims to live in him must walk how? As Jesus did. Pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, now, one of the things that he takes on here in verse 26, this idea of conceit or, or self-centeredness, let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. One of the things I want you to remember is, and prove me wrong here, there is never any conceit found in Jesus in the Gospels, ever. Prove me wrong. I never see any conceit in Jesus, any self-centeredness. So to walk in the Spirit is to give Him credit, to seek His glory. Now, 6.1 is really, really important to us. It's a beautiful passage, as is 6.2. But it kind of reminds me of what my attitude ought to be toward the sinner, toward somebody who is not walking the right way. What's my attitude supposed to be? The best word that I could come up with is the word redemptive. Redemptive. Uh, to use that word gentleness there that's quoted in 6.1 um, is a crucial fruit here. And a warning, okay, to live gently, to live redemptively, and then a warning to be careful when I'm trying to judge somebody else, be careful that I don't fall in the same hole. You catch that in 6.1? Restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. Each one, look at yourself so that you too won't be tempted. Marty is really good at helping us see that. In verse 2, it says we're to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Now, what I want to do here in this beautiful verse is, is to compare here. Um, if you read verse 2 and then you look at verse 5, I think I put verse one down there, but if you put compare verse two to one five to five, verse five says everybody's got to carry their own load. 
See that? Everybody's got to carry your own load. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Verse 2 says, we ought to bear one another's burdens. Has Paul had a senior moment between verse 2 and verse 5? I don't think so. This is the inspired word of God. There are two different words that are being used and two different expressions being used there. The word that's used in verse 2 when it says, bear one another's burdens, is a word, is a Greek word, barrios, which you don't need to know, except it, it describes an insurmountably heavy load. One that I'm not designed to carry. When I look at verse 5 and it says, but everybody needs to carry their own load. What's being talked about there, uh, when I think of that, and this, by the way, comes out in some of our Stephen ministry training. One of the things I need to think about is a five-year-old getting off a yellow school bus. Every one of them have got a backpack on. And you don't think their parents cruel or their teachers cruel to put that backpack on their back. Why? Made for a kid. Not much in there. It's not heavy. There, there are times when people think, I gotta have people run, I gotta have people carry everything about my life. And we get frustrated with that. There are other times when people are carrying an exceeding weight and they need to let us carry it with them. Both of those are mistakes. So as we compare two and five, look at verse three. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. The idea here is don't live a self-deceiving life. I, I need to take a look at the fruit of my daily life and ask myself, what am I producing? I don't need to look necessarily at your life and say, what are you producing? I need to be looking at my life. Look at verse four. You have... Um, it says here, each one must examine his own work and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. So the idea is, instead of being self-promoting, I ought to be self-testing, looking at my fruit level in a daily life. And then it reminds us, the last verse that Cindy read in verse six, that none of us are self-made all of us owe to someone else who came before us our faith story. Somebody told me about this and it's my responsibility to tell somebody else but I shouldn't ever think my spiritual life is something I created for myself. Now, I want us to read verse seven as kind of a closer here. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows into the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. The antidote to the life in the flesh is life in the spirit. And I saw it lived out yesterday. And I want to talk to you about that in closing. My question is, what life are you sowing are you sowing a life in the spirit or are you sowing a life in the flesh? Paul makes it really clear and I put the reference, Hosea 8, uh, verse 7, that says, um, uh, if you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. 
I was in Texas for the last couple of days, by the way, uh, about 11 o'clock last night. I escaped from Texas, John, okay? Just, just barely by the skin of my teeth, escaped from Texas after two days there. It's about all I could handle. No, it was beautiful. I was down in the Blue Bonnets yesterday. It was beautiful down there. Um, but I was there for a funeral of, of some new friends of ours that, that um, uh, are friends of the college. And um, uh, this man was a, uh, uh, a medical doctor, and his wife had been a, a nurse. And they just had a, an incredible impact on a lot of people. I'm sitting in a service, hearing their lives being extolled, and, and they, they did kind of an open time for people to talk. And there was a person from Hong Kong who spoke. There was a person from, um, uh, that these people invested in that were from Kenya who spoke. Um, my colleague, Dr. Cepeda, who's there, is from Mexico. And, and there was, half of the room was filled with African-American people. And I'm re recognizing that these people had no sense of, race, country. They adopted so many people over the years, just literally like my friend Enrique, who, who uh, they just took him in as a college student. Same thing with, um, with John, this uh, Kenyan fellow that they'd helped finish medical school. And I recognized when I was listening to all those stories that the Kleins had sowed well. And what they reaped was in like kind. They sowed things of the Spirit. And guess what crop came up? If I sow in the Spirit. So it's interesting, as I think about the gifts of the Spirit here, the fruit of the Spirit that are they're talked about here, I, I, I want to be careful not to get too technical into that. And I want to just say, the, the, the idea here is this axiom is always true. You're going to reap what you sow. And what I'm going to ask you here is not what, how you live in. I think 1 John 2, 6 kind of helps us with, I need to live as Jesus does. But what I'm going to ask you is on a moment by moment, day by day basis, what are you sowing? That's what you're going to reap. What are you sowing? It always works. What does it mean to live a holy life? It means to sow well. It means to think about him, tune my life to him, and walk it like he walked it. With the Spirit as my guide and teacher and power source. Join me in this walk, will you? Okay, we'll be in 1 John 4 next week. I'll see you there.